0: Welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella here to talk about everything that happened this week in surfing. Apologies for my voice. The U.S. Open seems to have gotten the best of me already. I've only been here for like two days, but yeah, it's just, you know, Huntington. It happens. Anyway, this week, Buck's going to come on. We're going to talk about Stab Highway, Europe, presented by Monster Energy, episode two. A lot of fun stuff is happening there. We'll get into it. The big board rider shakeup has already begun Uh, Basically, we're finding out who's going to be getting jobs, keeping jobs, uh, where all these things are going. There's so much to learn about this board rider situation, which of course closes on August 31st, but we're going to tell you everything we know as of now. We also have an interview with Zeke, aka Jacob Zichelli, the man you love to hate. We're going to be talking about a premium wetsuit and accessory brand who is timing their entry into the surf market perfectly with all this board rider stuff going on, and we're going to tell you the two world champions who sold Mick Fanning that empty African point break. You know the one, Rattlesnake. Let's get into it. Let's drop in. Mikey,
1: there you are. You're at Heinen Beach. You're at the United States Open of Surfing. Give me an overview.
0: I mean, what do you guys say? It's Surf City. I'm in the heartland of surfing. This is where surfing started, I believe. Yep. And um, yeah, right now I'm, I'm outside so you can hear the sights and sounds and the ambiance of probably the most, yeah, beautiful and important place in the heart of surfing.
1: Wow. Okay. I mean, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but I have, I have kind of a, a calling for you.
0: Okay. What is it?
1: Okay. Remember last year? Remember you were there? Things happened?
0: I do. I remember it well.
1: Okay. Good. Good memory. Did you or did you not have a sign? Um, spreading the word of the Lord on the beach.
0: It's true, I did, yes.
1: And whose name did it bear?
0: I mean, the one and only, I believe the I believe the verse was 916, which is also a a good aspect ratio for Instagram. Did he
1: or did he not qualify for the championship tour shortly thereafter?
0: Oh, he came in hot and got quickly dismantled, but he absolutely qualified for the championship tour.
1: But he qualified. Let's just focus on that bit, right? You do realize that you are a prophet, and that you need to go back down there with a sign. You need to pick a new QS, sorry, CS warrior. Pick a new name. They have to be below the cut line now. Pick another verse of the Bible. Is it Gospel? Bible, Bible. Uh, to align with, and you gotta get down there. I think this is your thing now. You have to pick another one.
0: You're right. Shoot, I got so many things to do. Today's my last day up here. Unfortunately, it's Friday. They've still got two days to run. I'm gonna. I'm gonna see what I can do, Buck. I'm to, I can't make any promises, but um, yeah, if you're if you're Tim Biso, I'm gonna do my best. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, then we'll get straight into the news. You got a lot to do. Stab Highway Europe presented by Monster Energy, episode two. All right, there is a moment in here. It's not too far into the episode where. Luke Cederman, AKA Raglan surf report, just lets out this sigh. And it is the sigh of a man who has woken up pretty hungover and has realized that his life continues to be sub highway. <laughs> 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 Cause I have my monster energy. Um, and that it's going to be hard. Um, this is a powerful episode as we hinted at next week. It, or as we hinted at last week, it starts with Killian Garron. Um, he, he picks up right where he left off which is uh, at the club and i don't want to spoil anything but i do want to shout out either you or holden whoever came up with the tagline hide your brothers um i thought that was very clever a very clever way of marketing uh what he did and by the end of the episode it's actually coral well it was coral great job coral we love you um By the end of the episode, we send a team home, which I realized this trip was a fucked up thing to do. uh, It feels very cold.
0: Yeah, but it also, it was a good, like, awakening for these surfers because I think up to that point, like, even going in to that final challenge, which we set up as, you know, at the end of the France uh, region, we had this big relay race. It was a pentathlon, and it required a lot of guts and a lot of endurance and a lot of different skills, um, some of which were... It was funny to me the things that they actually found hard out of those five challenges, Um, but yeah, we and and I think that they like they knew in the back of their mind that like a team was going home, but I don't think anybody actually thought it was going to be them, and somebody got yeah pretty clean awakening here.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was thinking about because it is like if you go to on a random reality TV show or something, I'm sure like there's just kind of a cold relationship between like the producers and the people on the show. Uh, That's not how these things work. These are people that. We know outside of this project that we work with outside this project, so it is kind of weird, especially with um it only being three days in the trip, just
0: being like, Hey, uh, it, you lost. Um See ya. I loved how um and in the in the intro to that last challenge, Garrett's sort of like framing it up and sort of like hinting at what the team has been up to. And he says something about the yellow team that I think they didn't really understand except for Luke. And Luke <laughs> was like, oh, man, I, I think we might be in trouble here. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: well, there is some wild shit in this episode. Like I said, it starts with that be out at Dick Sandbar slash La Central, which is the same zone that we had the party at for Ep 1 last year at Kulin. Uh, last week, sorry. And it takes you to La Gravier where they had to – go and surf after i think i think kg was the only person who didn't actually seem to sleep uh i think everybody else at least most of them combined that with the van challenge as you'll see in the episode but i think he was the only one that was like oh i think i'm just gonna kind of go to the club that stays open all night because the bars close at two clubs stay open after two um and so he really embraced
0: the challenge that was incredible to see I think another challenge you could call out. So did Letty, by the way. Yeah, Letty. I didn't really like. I wasn't because we were there for Killian's night. We weren't there for Letty's night. But Letty also put in a great effort. He put in a great
1: effort. Not really surprising. Um, You know he (laughs) he did what was genetically um, likely
0: of him ordained.
1: Yeah, what he (laughs) is genetically ordained to do. What he was chosen to do. Uh, So go check that out. I do think there's a moment where. Because some of these challenges, you don't really know how people are going to respond. You're familiar with it; you've written quite a few. But the Rockford cheese one was oh. apparently one of the hardest ones that we threw at people. Um, and I like that it seemed approachable enough that everybody gave it a go. Um, it is. I, I'm bad of a bad stomach, and I got sick again <laughs> even watching this.
0: I mean, I yeah, I like cheese. And, um, you know, I, I don't even mind a strong cheese, but I tried just like a fingerful of this stuff while Hugo was doing it and almost, I mean, I didn't almost throw up, like, I, I could handle it, but to think about consuming a fist sized portion of that cheese is fucking, like, just thinking about it now, I like feel really, really bad that you put them in that position. Cause I didn't even know what this stuff was. And the only person who seemed to really handle it well was William Aliotti. Like he was just like, I mean, he's French, I guess, like he's more accustomed to these, these strong tasting cheeses. But yeah, that was a really hard one to watch and to put in my mouth.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the cruel, I think the cruelest aspect of it was that it had to just be that you couldn't spread it on bread or anything. You had to just embrace the cheese. Um, Which was disgusting. So go watch that. Go get sick. Um, Go get ill watching the the program. It'll be nice. Anything else stick out to you during the production of this episode that uh, you want to call out?
0: Well, another one of, I believe, your challenges, definitely strikes me as one of your challenges, is that in each region, teams are given a stipend of 1,500 euro. And with that, they need to get accommodation, food gas, whatever they need for those three days in each region between not just the four people on their team, but also the two filmers that come along with them. And, um, (laughs) you'll actually hear more about how some of the filmers were treated in later episodes. But, uh, one of the challenges that we put for France is to gamble $500 or 500 euro on either black or red in the Buritz casino, which is a third of their entire stipend. So basically if they lose, then they got to figure out some other way to get around for, that's basically a day's worth of, uh, of funding. Or if they win, they've got 500 extra euro to splurge on a, you know, a nice hotel or a nice meal or whatever. Um, Buck, just one question for you. If you're walking into the Biritz casino, uh, you're with your team, you might be wearing a speedo, you don't know. And you've got 500 euro in your hand. Are you going black or red?
1: Okay. Well, this is, I have recency bias here. Um, first of all, I have walked into that casino many times, not with that amount of money because you got to just, you know, you limit yourself or else you get out of hand a little bit, don't you? Um, I recently went to, uh, an opera concert in Lisbon. It was right next to the casino and the man was blind, which I did not learn until the next day. But, uh, Andrea Bocelli, he's a blind man. He's unable to see. And he was being walked out every time by a woman in a red dress. And I thought it was like a machismo thing. Um, the next day I found out he was visually impaired he cannot see which is the purpose of the woman in the red dress went to the casino after that put on red won I'm going red
0: okay Red, right, he's going. Also, I feel really bad for Andrea Pacelli. He's like one of the biggest singers in the world, but to be in a place like Bieritz and not be able to see is such a shame. As you'll see in episode two of Stab Highway Europe presented by Monster Energy. It's one of the most beautiful towns in the world. Buck used to live there for a long time. Um, but yeah, especially in the relay race, some of those drone shots, like it is just absolutely stunning. So get in there, give it a watch, get excited for ep three. And also there's rumors of a secret fifth episode that may be dropping a week after at four so they drop every thursday 5 p.m pacific standard time maybe pacific daylight time nobody's sure um but yeah you can find them on stab or the stab app which is available well, the
1: pacific is a big ocean <laughs>
0: it's true <laughs> yeah it's on there's also a stab app i feel like a lot of people don't know that we're on all the big app platforms so unless you have a samsung tv in australia then you're fucked
1: yeah sorry but that's on you The big board rider shakeup has already begun. All right, all right, let's wind this one back. Unless you've been living under a rock or some other structure that prevents you from consuming any surf industry news, a company called Authentic Brands Group bought the Board Riders Group in the spring for $1.3 billion. Board Writers includes Quicksilver, Roxy, Bill Long, Ruka, DC, Element, Honolulu, shout out for still existing and Von Zipper, and XL, which they had already sold off. Now, ABG's getting the keys. And so this deal is still about a month out from closing. It's gonna close at the end of August, but ABG likes to license their brands out. So basically they say, hey, everybody recognizes the logo. Let's find somebody who will put that logo on a bunch of things and pay us royalties for it. So they're now in the process, You know, they're gonna have the keys in less than a month, so they're already making deals with some of these licensees. And so, things get tricky because these brands can all get licensed in different ways. You can go by region, for example. You can negotiate for a license in the United States, so just a single country. You can go a full kind of area. You could say like Australia, New Zealand. You could say the entire EU. You could say just a few nations in the EU. So you can split it like that. You could also split it split it by product. You could say, hey, I want men's apparel, or hey, I want wetsuits. I want snow gear. So you could split it that way too. And you could also split it by the way these products are distributed. So wholesale, which means selling it to big retailers and then retail, which is like brand owned shops and then e-commerce, which is if you just go to a brand website, complicated. That's a lot and there's a lot of brands at stake and there's a lot of people who have jobs tied to those brands in different parts of the world at stake. And so basically what's happening now is that as these licensee deals start to really take shape, people are getting told whether or not they basically people are getting job offers, but it's all happening on kind of different time periods because there's so many ways and so many different licensees. So, some licensees are kind of locked in and they've already sent job offers out, some are still getting locked in, so people don't know if they have jobs yet. So, basically, it's a really tricky time. But I guess what inspired this story is that people already have job offers, which is a good thing, they've sent over 100 out already. Um, I think leading into this, there's a lot of like, oh man, everybody's going to fire. This will going to be horrible. Uh, without a doubt, some people will lose their jobs. But from what we're seeing so far, and especially what we're hearing, a lot of people are going to keep their jobs and maybe some kind of big players might do some cool things with these brands. So it's not all horrible, folks.
0: No, but it is interesting. Like not everybody's keeping their job. We know that some people are also being laid off with two month severance And that's regardless of whether they were with the company for a year or 20 years. And I think the reason that they're able to do that is because technically the company is changing hands. So in the same way that some of the people who came over to, say, the U.S. when board writers moved over there, Um, on a work visa, those work visas are going to be kind of null and void because they were tied to the previous owner, which was board riders. So when ABG gets controls, everything kind of changes, the rules change, and they can sort of make changes as they want. We also know that a lot of executive level people are largely being laid off, one, because they have higher salaries, obviously, and two, because in the example of, say, Billabong and Ruka and a few other brands, which are being taken on by this, uh, they're going to be licensed out to Liberated Brands, which is the same company that uh, licenses Volcom. Well, basically, the people in the high-level positions are Liberated are going to fill those executive-level roles of people at Billabong and Ruka, etc., um, which leads me to our comment of the week. So the interesting thing about um, Liberated is that It was started by former Volcom employees when Volcom was sold and they realized that they were going to be licensed out and they're like, oh, well, why don't we just start a brand that licenses Volcom? Therefore, we can kind of continue to control its brand and trajectory, which is actually a really cool move. And it's something that um, apparently some people in board riders Europe are doing over there. But now, what, what this basically comes down to is now the people who, the ex-Volcom employees who now are the Volcom licensors or licensees, licensees, I suppose, they're going to be taking over control of all these other surf brands. So the comment of the week comes from Colonic Irrigation. And he says, so Volcom went from being youth against establishment to being the establishment which is a really really funny change like just like turn of events cuz you never saw that happening like Volcom was this young brand that was just super brash and now they're the people like making these really hard business decisions and taking over other surf companies in a sense.
1: Well, it is still a team of 15-year-olds from what I understand. It's all still youth. <laughs> Imagine they should just let youth still do it. Just have children in there making decisions It'd be fun.
0: So, that's the sort of employee front.
1: No, I'm kidding. They have a great team of adults.
0: Yeah. So that's the employee front. On the surfer front, we know that um, it's a little bit different because they're not technically employees, so they're not tied to the, the sale of this other company. But they do have contracts in place, and those contracts have end dates, a lot of which happen to be in November of this year. And a big reason for that is because, especially on the competitive front, Most managers negotiated to have contracts end on the 23rd so that in case their uh, athlete was able to get into the Olympics, they would have a position to basically market them again and be able to re-up their deals and get bigger contracts, etc. So that means that a lot of surfers are going to basically either be given another uh, contract by ABG or not. And, you know, that depends on a thousand different factors, which we can't possibly know of. But, uh, yeah, it's it's really interesting. And what we're hearing is that some of the surfers are already being told by ABG that you should basically start shopping for a new sponsor. And if you get a new contract, they will basically uh, dissolve your contract without, you know, breaking any the laws or anything like that so it's clear that they're trying to get rid of some surfers at least it's uh it's unclear how many surfers will remain but yeah there's a lot of movement still going on and we'll know a lot more as we get closer to the august 31st sale date and then to that november sort of athlete cliff as well
1: yep more coming on that front folks (laughs) the man you love to hate this is a stab interview with Jacob Zeke, sizzle Zekely. Jacob Zekeley the King of Waco, sizzle Kelly, the King of Waco, the OTC master, and the guy who, frankly, it seems that uh, many people in the stab audience really just get it, like, love to hate. I mean, it's okay if you love hating something and you enjoy it, which is to me seems to be the way a lot of people treat this guy. Um, I guess that's okay, but. Mike, you'd spent time with him before. I hadn't really. Stab Highway was the first time I really spent time with him, and I was honestly impressed. Um, I guess I kind of heard about him and how he – when you look at him on his Instagram or in the videos he makes, you're like, oh, this guy can be a bit cringe. He's over the top. He's yelling silly stuff, and it's always just a lot of attention and goofy and silly. And um, Yeah, there's just something weird about somebody just shouting – otc to a uh camera re- repeatedly it, it doesn't sit well with me either folks okay um but what i was impressed by during staff highway was how he's just a very he could turn that on and off essentially and when he turns it off he's a very nice person like he's a very just a lovely person to converse with and a thoughtful person and it made me kind of go oh okay like this guy knows what he's doing Like he he has this character that he thinks works well for the videos and the way that he's creating content. And he just flips it on when the camera's rolling when it's off. Like I, I had some lovely conversations with the guy and I was, I was really impressed. I mean, what's, what's your read on it?
0: Well, I mean, you nailed it. Like he's so self-aware everything that he does. Like even when he's coming off as like an asshole, he knows he's doing it on purpose and he has a real reason behind it. Like he actually has a person that he's sort of modeled his persona off of and he told me the name in Europe, and I can't remember it, but people who know uh, motocross will know who I'm talking about. So Travis Pastrana was sort of like the Kelly Slater. Tony Hawk. Like, yeah, exactly, the Tony Hawk. Like this sort of like godlike figure, who's sort of squeaky clean, like obviously incredibly talented, and he was like the guy. And basically all the, the kids that were, you know, a little bit more on the straight and narrow side really looked up to him. But then there was this other guy who wasn't as good as Travis Pastrana. So he basically recognized this about himself and realized, if I want to have a space in this sport, I need to create like a persona, like something that people can really like either rally behind or rally against. Because as they say, any press is good press. So this guy went full degenerate mode, just started talking shit on Travis <laughs> Pastrana, like going showing up and like just, <laughs> yeah, basically being like an asshole in the same way that Zeke is, can be an arrogant asshole. You know what I mean? Cause that's his brand. And he says it in this piece. Like I know I'm not a CT level surfer. I'm not a hundred thousand dollar contract surfer. He knows that, you know, him going out and paddling into a wave alone probably will not make a career for him, but he's willing to go on camera and basically act and say things that other surfers won't. And therefore he has a large following and a, a really, um, like, engaged following not so much in europe but when we were in stab highway presented by monster energy california he had so many people come up to him literally yelling otc out of their car window when they drove past him so he's doing a really really good job at what he's trying to achieve and um yeah i hope that if you haven't met zeke in like an environment where he is able to be a normal human. You can take it from us. But yeah, I recommend if you see him out in the water, like don't just assume that he is like this belligerent fucking idiot because he can act that way sometimes, but that's not the real him. So yeah, get to know him a little better and you can read more about him in this piece.
1: Well, one thing that stuck out to me is that, I mean, you wrote extensively about this, Mikey, I believe, but Zeke went to jail. He had some bad shit happen in the past. The story gets into it. Um, and like I said, you went into it with him before as well, but basically, yeah, he went
0: to prison by the way,
1: (laughs) he went to proper prison and for people who go to prison, ex cons of California return 66% of the time to prison. And that number is even higher for people with drug and alcohol problems. And Zeke had, he was drinking and he had that in his life at that time. So Zeke really is beating the odds on that front. That's something that he talks about in this piece as well. Like, I don't think we could not look at that as part of his story. And I know that's why some people dislike him. They say, oh, he's a La Jolla kid and blah, blah, blah. But I mean, a lot of people who go to prison, go back to prison. Zeke has now been sober for five years. And yeah, you might not love his videos, but I respect what the guy's doing. So good for you, Zeke. A premium wetsuit and accessory brands, perfectly timed entrance into the surf market, Mikey. The year is 2002. Look at this. You're at the start of the millennium. Isn't that pretty fucking cool? Laird Hamilton's out there. He's tackling waves at Chopu. You're like, whoa, that's crazy. I didn't know the ocean did that. Of course, Laird's riding it. And it's like a new millennium, and the toasters were going to kill everybody. That was it. That was was the early 2000s. But then 2002 came along, and things kind of settled. And uh, this is where our story begins. So in the Netherlands at the time, also known as Holland to people that uh, like to call it that, I think NL is, the Netherlands is preferable. I get so
0: confused over there. And then they're like Dutch. Like, how, how, can, how can these all be the same thing? They're
1: the same thing. They're the same thing. Amsterdam is a city in the Netherlands, which is the preferred word for calling it that, not Holland. That's where we're at.
0: And then they speak Dutch?
1: They speak Dutch, yes. So there we are. The toasters didn't kill us. It's 2002. Laird's also out there on Maui. He's getting into kite surfing. Not windsurfing, kite surfing. Windsurfing had been around for a while; it was popular in the '80s. Now people were starting to ride waves and have fun in the ocean with these kites attached to them on board. So, this 18-year-old intern at a windsurfing company in the Netherlands says, "Hey, let's capitalize on this!" And he starts kind of a side brand of a company that was called Maui Magic, that was built on kite surfing. He called it Mystic. Um, they invented a kite surfing harness. So basically this sport was so new that people were still using the windsurfing one, basically it introduced the biggest innovation in that sport and now have been like leaders in that space since then essentially. That's just here. And guess what? Now they're getting into real surfing. Mikey, your thoughts?
0: Well, one of the things that stood out to me in this piece is that they have suits with Yamamoto neoprene and having tested a fair few wetsuits in my day, I will say that far and away Yamamoto is the only neoprene that should ever exist. Basically, it is so far superior to... I don't exactly know what the what the normal quote-unquote neoprene is called, the one that you know, most people have been wearing for the past 30 years, but Yamamoto is just on such a different level. It's like silk, so I'm really excited about that. Um, and also... It sounds like they have a film coming with Morgan Masson. So they're clearly willing to invest not just into quality products, but also into quality like brand making. Like The stuff Morgan makes is so beautiful. So I'm excited to see that as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. One thing I think is cool too is that they I – mean, I talked to the founder, Max, for this story. And he talked about just kind of owning their North Sea – Roots and the North Sea is pretty much that whole part of the world would hates the UK and Ireland because they would have a full exposed swell window if that if that place wasn't there. Uh they would just have a lot of Atlantic swell exposure. And because those places are there, they don't. And so the North Sea is what separates their coastline from that coastline. Um it sounds cold, it fucking is. It's cold, it's windy, it's miserable um and so i think it's like their aesthetic can be quite dark and i i think it's cool they're owning that not just being like hey like you know we went to somewhere really cold to do a wetsuit shoot it's like no we're from here and that's that's kind of what we deal with all the time so i think that's cool i think it's different refreshing to see um shout out to kyle belly who has a quote in here he rides for them as well and i didn't know but he's big into kite surfing that's why like when they reached out i was like fuck yeah i know mystic uh, that was interesting and good for them. I think it does come at an interesting time with all the shakeups and uh, honestly, I, I worry more with all this stuff with like board riders and ABG. The thing that I worry about the most is, is wetsuits because I've seen what those teams look like. And like, it takes a lot to make a good wetsuit. It takes a committed design team and ongoing investment to designing comprehensive ranges and Making sure you have good price point suits and you have good the highest quality suits and like the licensing thing, I think can get tricky there. Um, I still don't know how that's going to work out, but if it's different companies in different regions with different incentives and different distribution, it could be a mess, a bit messy, and maybe make it harder to get some top top level neoprene. So I do think that it's an interesting timing there. And uh, welcome, Mystic. I'd love a suit.
0: Yeah. Well, it sounds like they're going to have some options of surfers to pick from in the near future from that board rider's umbrella. But I really think that they should try to make this full circle. Like this thing all started with Laird. I really think they should try to get Laird on the team. Get him. And I mean, I don't think Laird's actually worn a wetsuit. Well, he doesn't need it now. He does ice baths. He's fine. Yeah. He just, he just, gets out that beautiful rig he could be letty's dad really but he just you know if you can somehow support laird hamilton in this i think that you should really aim for that mystic
1: let's fucking get him how two world champions sold mick fanning an empty african point break um if you watched season two episode one of how surfers get paid you are already familiar with this tale uh gabriel medina and italo ferreira they found a wave in africa and they sold it to Mick. it's a crazy story <laughs> that is not true it was not them it was two other world champions um which may not be in gabe and italo's exact discipline but anyway this is a recap of what is seriously i think one of the most mind-blowing surf stories i've ever heard of it's just there's so much loaded into that story um in terms of what happened and also just what needs to exist for that sale to even be possible it's just so insane that that is an actual event that happened and this provides a nice little overview because it was too good not to revisit but hey if you watch season two episode one of how servers get paid you already knew what we're talking about don't you
0: well yeah and to be fair we've been really cagey around this because this is a story that I think very, 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 very few people knew of. And we unearthed it. And we didn't want to just like come out and be like, oh, this is what happened. But I think at this time, we need to pull back the veil a little bit. So Mick Fanning did not find this wave, as you said. Um, the people who found this wave found it on Google Earth. And obviously, Africa is like this giant continent that is exposed to the ocean on almost all sides. And there's just, they get pelted with swell from all different directions. And they have some of the best setups in the world. Obviously, I think the best wave in the world is in Africa and Namibia, which we'll be getting really good waves this week as well, in case anybody wants to pull the trigger. Um, but mm. I'm going to go ahead and say it, Buck. I'm going to I'm gonna reveal it right here on the podcast. Um, because there's more to the story than just who, who sold the wave. So we're talking about Grant Twiggy Baker and Greg Long, who, like I said, they found this wave on Google Earth. And they were surfing it for years with no one around. Except for maybe a couple kite surfers who actually found this wave before them. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I'm not going to tell you where the wave is. If you were quick enough and clever enough to check Mick's Rip Curl GPS watch stats on the website when they first put this up, um, apparently it was on there. But you can also find it using a little bit of, you know, there's a lot of details out there that you can piece together to figure out where this is. I remember I found it a few years ago. Um, and one of a STAB employees actually went there. Um, Taylor Paul, who's our premium director, he ended up going on a, tri- uh, on a trip there, uh, and it was the one that Mick went for the second time with Tyler Wright. So it's findable, it's achievable, you just got to go out there and get it. Um, but there's a few other interesting tidbits to this story that I want to share. Um, and one is that when Twiggy... Decided to go and sell this. It was because he felt as though it was at a point where the wave could probably be exposed in the near future and he wanted to capitalize off of it. So the first person that he went to with this was not Mick Fanning, but Kelly Slater. And Kelly apparently kind of just like shrugged him off as Kelly tends to do. He's not overly committal. So he got sort of the cold shoulder from Kelly. And then he went to Mick. And Mick was instantly in. He literally showed him a clip on his phone and he wouldn't send it to Mick. He just showed him the clip once. And Mick was like, where is this? Let's go. So he knew he sort of had him on the hook at that point. And then a few weeks later, he said, Mick, there's going to be a swell. Do you want to go? And Mick was like, yes, let's do it. And so that's when all the dealing started. So they started talking to Rip Curl. There were NDAs. They were bartering over a price, which to this day we have a ballpark of, but we don't know exactly where it is. Um, So How Surfers Get Paid, Season 2, Episode 1, goes so deep into this story and also into the general legend of Twiggy Baker, who is easily one of the most interesting men in surfing and not just because he paddled into one of the heaviest waves ever and found this wave. There's so many other stories that go into making him who he is and why he's so special. So yeah, if you want to get a piece of that or all of it, really go to watch how surfers get paid season two, episode one, which is still up on the site. And I promise even with all this, we share, there's so much more to learn. So get in there,
1: get in there. I want to call it two more things though. One, I think it's, it's just hilarious with the whole Kelly background and the fact that this edit on YouTube, which now has just shy of a million views, it was at 975,000, I think, just like frustratingly shy of that just relieving million dollar, million, million view number, but it's called Ain't No Wave Pool. I can't help. I just think that's a funny bit of the story because it is, it's a, yeah, with the Kelly background, it, it's a good one. And then the other thing I love about this is that Twiggy gave them a money-back guarantee.
0: Out of Sam McIntosh's playbook.
1: Oh my God, that is incredible to me. Because imagine if it was just like a crazy setup, but just not that great. I don't know. Like, Imagine how do you even... That's, that's just insane. It's insane. The money-back guarantee element of this is... Um, it's, it's, it's so subjective, but guess what? It was pretty objectively a score. So good job to everybody involved. Go watch or rewatch it.
0: And the other funny thing is that they were so like just adamant that they didn't want this to get out. So there were the NDAs, but they also really wanted to control who filmed it. So, for instance, one of the filmers, the water filmer for this thing was actually Greg Long, who was injured at the time. And then all the GoPro stuff, which is featured throughout the edit, you know, like shots of POV tube surfing, those aren't Mick. Those are Twiggy. Twiggy was there too, but he wouldn't surf anywhere near Mick, so he wasn't in any of the shots. He would just surf down the line because obviously it's like a however many kilometer long wave. So, yeah, just hearing all these little backstories about what went into that whole thing is just fucking awesome. So go watch How Surfers Get Paid Season 2, Ep 1, live on the site.
1: All right, almost almost the beautiful hour of the surf sin – but don't we have a few more things to discuss Mikey? We have that deep dive that we've been teasing about how artificial intelligence can change surfing. We have got a prediction about tomorrow's hottest high performance shortboard which is Sharpie's Synergy model. Uh, they can't really miss it seems in the moment Sharpie does everything they
0: do everybody seems to love. Oh my god, I'm riding a Sharpie right now. It is the best board I've ridden in so long. Is it the Synergy? No, it's the Inferno FT, which is the quad. You get on the fucking synergy, Mikey. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I'm, I'm surfing the, uh, yesterday's board, but it is everything.
1: Today, now, get a new one. Come on, you monkey. <laughs> we have got Jed Smith's Ode to Mikala Jones. Jed was able to spend some close time with Mikala, and this is a great piece. So, rest in peace to him. And uh, we got some more stuff on. Mikey, we got a Tahiti preview coming. I've heard. There's one of those things where they say that there's going to be really good waves. It's uh, still over a week out, but the idea of Tahiti being pumping with John John Florence, Gabriel Medina, and Jack Robinson all outside the top five is the most arousing thing I've heard in quite some time. So we have that coming. What else we got? More step Highway, Monster Energy.
0: Oh, we're going to be talking to Connor Coffin as well because he actually just retired at the U.S. Open. Um, We got to go catch up with him last night. He had a film premiere with 805, uh, the beer company out of Central California, so to speak, 805. Um, And yeah, we're going to be chatting with Connor about kind of where he's been and where he's going next.
1: Nice. Shout out to Freddie P. Just anytime you can. Greatest retirement of all time. Um, But the Connor stuff is exciting. Great career and great guy.
0: All right. So is it time?
1: It is time for the surf sin, Mikey. This is going to be a familiar, I would say face, it's going to be a voice, but if you've been following along Stab Highway, you are presented by Monster Energy. You're going to remember this voice and let's hear what she has to say for herself. Ladies and gentlemen, Zoe McDougall.
0: Father, forgive me, but I'd like to confess my serf sin. Everyone I burned this winter, I absolutely saw.
1: It's so, it's, some people tell a story, you know, they start and it's like a setup and it's like, well, I was doing this. And then all of a sudden you, the crisis starts to take shape, you know, well, this guy was over here and you're like, uh oh, there's going to be a thing. there's a misunderstanding. This is just so to the point. It's such a sin. It's just like, this one fucking boggled my brain. It scrambled the internet too. The internet was all scrambled up about it.
0: Yeah, I mean there are a lot of people just being like, Fucking get it, girl. Like she's owning it. Yeah. She's obviously a North Shore local. Um, so there's there's that going on. She's got a lot of things in her favor. There is something about just like it's like the Jacobs AK thing. It's like you just own being an asshole and nobody can really call you out on it.
1: Yeah, yeah. That, that's uh what eight mile. You know, eight mile where he just addresses all his problems so the other guy can't. It's uh Bit of an eight mile thing. Yeah. And a few people were calling her out for not really looking sorry per se. Uh, yeah. Didn't, didn't do a great job at conveying sorrow there, Zoe, but,
0: uh, yeah, there's like a little shrug at the end.
1: (laughs) Yes. eh, Maybe, maybe she's not going to stop, but we're going to try to get her to heal. Uh, my favorite comment, because there's, there's also this weird theme on the Instagram where, uh, people were just saying things that Zoe, ways in which Zoe had wronged her. Um, many of which I would hope are true. Many of which I would hope are untrue, but uh, that kind of became a thing. One of those little social media things. So I liked all those think you got in the mix there, Mikey, but This might be a personal one. My favorite comment on it was I'm a boogie boarder from New Jersey. Follow me to see how you can earn six to 10K a week selling solar panels. DM me. This is from Ryan Mack Photo, who I know personally. And it's my favorite because I am not convinced. Like, this is like maybe, oh, look, it's funny because bots always say this, but I'm not convinced that Ryan Mack is not selling solar panels (laughs) for six to 10K a week. Um, I don't know if I'm providing him free advertising right now, but it was one of those things where I was like, seriously, this guy might be selling solar panels and he might have something figured out. I still have no fucking idea. So that's why I'm highlighting it because am I wrong? Like, do you think Ryan Mack is not selling these solar panels for a six, 10 K a week?
0: No, I'm sure him and Tommy Incan have some sort of thing figured out over there. They're just, just fooling people.
1: They have to, they have to. So, um, yeah, like I said, it, you might get entered into a pyramid scheme if you DM him, or you might make six, 10K weeks. On I have no fucking idea. I have no idea on that one. So not a penance in any way, but my favorite comment.
0: All right. Well, speaking of penance, do you want to go first? Do you want me to?
1: I'll rip in. Uh, as a member of the visually impaired community, along with uh, Andrea Bacelli, I'm not sure how many cards he's been hit by, but I've been a few. Uh, as a member of the visually impaired community, uh, on behalf of opera fans worldwide i would like to say that i mean it sounded like she was hinting at maybe they thought she might not have seen them so i'm just gonna say you need to wear the aqua sunnies for commit to it for i mean she's a pro and she doesn't really want, want to fuck up her performance too much but um i'm gonna say commit to three sessions choose them as you will but you have to wear the Aqua Sunny, so that way nobody really knows if you can see them or not. They might just be like, "Oh shit, that blind chick cooked me again." Um, I'm not sure that this is doing anything for the visually impaired community, but on behalf of Andrea Bocelli, uh
0: that's what I'm, that's what I got. That's good. I, you know, Zoe likes to surf sunset a lot. She uh, grew up right around there, and I think that w- those would actually be really helpful out there. There's so much mist as you're paddling into the wave. It'd be cool. Half the time you're like caught at the top the whole time. All right, so that's a good one. I like that. Um, Mine's simple, and I think that this is achievable. So the way I like to think about it is a wave given is worth a hundred taken. So I just think that every winter from now on, she needs to choose one person who like clearly is not a local, probably doesn't belong out there. Um, But you know, there's gonna be. In, over the course of a winter, she's going to have so many good waves come her way, and all she needs to do is just give away one really good wave to somebody who is clearly, you know, on, on Hawaiian vacation. Maybe they're not the best surfer in the world, but like this wave could really change their life and their whole Hawaiian experience. And to have you, a local, really just give them the go ahead on a great wave. And yeah, I think that that would that would really heal you and make the world a better place.
1: Wow, deep, Mikey. You went you went spiritual with it. I like it um if you happen to be wearing sunnies when you give the person a bonus for both of us
0: all right thanks zoe next time um just please don't burn me because well yeah i guess you can
1: yeah but it might happen i would almost say that she
0: after if she
1: right now she if she's listening she'd be like i'm absolutely gonna burn this guy she's reliving stab highway <laughs> just thinking of all the crazy shit she had to do um while getting yelled at by us, and both of her, both of us are on are very high on her burn list at the moment. So, uh, yeah, we love you, Zoe.
0: We basically starved her in France.
1: We starved her in France. Um, it was tough. It was tough. Luke Cederman's sigh early in the episode just uh, sums up what it was like for these people waking up and realizing that it wasn't a dream that they still had to shovel down the moldiest, stinkiest cheese and. Um, drink foot grape juice so go watch that
0: thank you as always for listening to the drop and if you have a surf sin of your own send them to michael at stabmag.com or bucket film it vertically on your iPhone, keep it 60 seconds or less. And if you get featured on Stab's Instagram and this show, you will get a free year of Stab Premium. As Buck mentioned, there's a lot more to come. We've got Tahiti. Stace and I are going to come in and do an episode on that. There's a lot of things happening with board riders. There's people retiring and yeah, surfing's in an interesting place right now. There's a lot to talk about. So until next week, over and out.